Good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is towards the very end of your Bible, not the last book, but it's towards the end. There's the New Testament, Old Testament, and Hebrews is towards the back. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, which we would encourage you to do so, uh, then you can find this, uh, this particular reading on page 970 of the Pew Bible that's in front of you. We would love for you to join us if you're able. We are in a sermon series called All In, and the idea is that we... Um, that what does it look like for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What are some characteristics that every follower of Jesus Christ ought to be able to have on display in their lives as they're growing uh, in, in following after Jesus to be all in? What does that look like for us? And there's eight characteristics that we're looking at each week. And we're also encouraging you to join into a connect group, an all-in connect group during this time so that not only are you hearing it now, but you also have the opportunity to think about it, to pray about it, about it with others and to discuss it so that it might actually be uh, more life transformative in each of our lives and in our lives together as a church community, as a church family. Uh, as we begin this morning, I do want to just say thank you for coming. I know that it's not always easy uh, to be able to come and to make it on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's not always, don't, things don't always go the way we plan. And so be, even being here and being able to make it is just for some of you, you're just glad you're here, and I want you to know that I'm glad that you're here and worshiping God with us this morning. Uh, this morning, I, I did my own normal routine, so I, I woke up and, and got ready and, and dressed and shaved, which is good, and then made my way uh, down and, and got out the door, uh, grabbed my little breakfast on my way out, and then, I, as is my ritual, uh, then I made my way to Starbucks uh, to, to be able to get fueled up for the day, right? Now, here, the funny thing was that something happened to me while I was there that had never, I'd never experienced before. And as I drove in, uh, the Starbucks that I go to was completely dark. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> My first thought was like, someone overslept. Some, someone is going to be in trouble because the Starbucks is dark. And I thought, well, I'll just go to the other one on the other side of town. That's what I'll do. So I had a plan, a backup plan. You always got to have an emergency plan, right, in place. I did. You'll be glad to know. So I, I turned around, and as I was going, I was just really just a bit perplexed about why it was dark and why I'm feeling a little bad for this person who obviously didn't set their alarm properly and was on their way out. And then I happened to glance down at the clock in my car. And then I thought, I better check my phone to see if this is right. And I pulled out my phone, and it was right. It was 4 a.m. <laughs> Starbucks is not open at 4 a.m., just in case you were wondering. So I've been up for a while. Um, <laughs> getting to church sometimes doesn't always go the way you plan. And so I'm thankful that you're here with us. <laughs> Because there's always room for us to continue to keep growing and learning in life, isn't there? And that's what we're thinking about. Last week, we looked at worshiping and the all-encompassing worship of God. And that is the basis and foundation for following after Jesus. And then there is a learning component. That if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we're learning. We are learning. Dorothea Daniels, I don't know if you know her name. I didn't until just a Google search ago. On June 8th, 2015, became the oldest person to earn a college degree. She was 99 years old. 99 years old, and she, learned, she earned a college degree. 
fantastic story because she actually had her driver's license revoked. So she had to get rides to classes and all of these different things as she made her way through because she was someone who was going to continue to be a lifelong learner even through 99. And we understand the value of that just as in, in culture and in society of being someone who is continually curious or someone who's continually wanting to better themselves, someone who's wanting to continually be learning, but even more so as a follower of Jesus, that it is never okay for the Christian to say, well, that's just the way I am. It's never okay for the Christian to say, this is just the way I am. I don't mean in personality. I don't mean that you just love pizza. I, what I mean is that's just the way I am and I'm not going to change. Because Jesus and God, by his spirit, is continually working in our lives, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. So it's never okay for us to say, well, that's just the way I am. I am who I am. That we need to be able to say, I want to be who you want me to be. We need to be lifelong learners. So what makes Christian learning distinct from just being a better person or a general curiosity? Well, there's several things. And I, I will apologize in advance that this morning, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, different scriptures, and I think it's purposeful. I hope that you find it helpful, and I would encourage you just to write the references down so that in your small groups or just later in your own study, you can actually go look them up and be, be well, see what, what I'm telling you is actually true. That's actually there. But the first thing that makes the, this, the learning of a disciple of Jesus Christ or a follower of Jesus distinct is that it's learning primarily about God. It's learning about God. What do we learn about God? That our learning is a continued pursuit after God and who he is. That first we need to understand that God created. God created. In Romans chapter 1. We learn this, that we can learn about God. And in, in, in Romans chapter 1, please on the screen, there we go. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been, what has been made so that people are without excuse. That God in creation, and even some of you just this morning talking about the beauty of this, of the morning, of this, and, 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 and ridiculing for looking like it's winter already in my dress, but remember at 4 a.m. it was cold. Um, the beauty of creation, being able to see all that God has made, that God has revealed himself in what is referred to by theologians as the general revelation to all who will see and all who will, who will know that God created that since the beginning of creation, his eternal power, his invisible qualities, his divine nature has been made known in his creation. That we can see God at work. In addition to that, so we're, our learning about God is that knowing that he created. Second, that God is a God who speaks. The God of the Christianity is a God who speaks. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, and God said. That the, the God of Christianity is not just a God who created humanity and just left them alone to fend for themselves. That the God of Christianity is a God who, not, who isn't a God who is closed off from his creation, but is a God who has chosen to reveal himself and he has chosen to reveal himself in his creation and in his created order, but also that he speaks to his creation. 
that he has chosen to reveal. How else would we know God? How cruel would it be of God to just make stuff and then never tell you about himself? But we have a God who has chosen to speak. And he is a God who speaks. So in our learning as a follower of Jesus, we're learning about God, a God who created and a God who spoke and speaks. And thirdly, it's a God who entered. A God who entered. Philippians chapter 2, this is a familiar verse to many of you. It's talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, uh, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That God sent his son Jesus, that Jesus took on the form of human flesh. God created and God spoke and then God sent his son who is the word, the living word, to be incarnate. It's, it's Christmas that God came into earth. He came into space and time and took on the human condition. Fully God and fully man, he entered into his creation. God entered in. And Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully human. And it is by looking at him that we are able to learn about God. This is what a Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews has to say about Jesus. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Do you want to know about God? How can we learn about God? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Do you want to know about your heavenly father? Then look at his son. Because why? Because in Christ, there is the fulfillment of God. There is the fullness of God. That's why we talk, that's why the Bible is a book about Jesus, because Jesus is the representation that God is is giving us of how we can know about him. That's why our worship is about Jesus. That's why our discipleship is about Jesus, about learning who he is, what he has done, what he teaches in order that we might be able to form our lives around him. Why? Because the son is the radiance of the glory of God. Because he's the son. That God in our learning, it's a continued learning about God entering into the world because in the work and the person of Jesus Christ, we can learn about God and his mercy and his grace. God created, God spoke, God entered. These are foundational things for the learning of the people of God. And God inspired, and God inspired. Second Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed 
and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That God breathed his word. There is the incarnate word who is Jesus and then there is the written word inspired by God that God spoke. That God by his spirit inspired biblical writers. It's not as if God God just had a dictaphone there or he had people that were there and he he just gave dictation that they were just typing down. That's not the inspiration of the Bible. That's not how God chose to work. No, God chose to work, that there were real people in a real time in history. They were real people who were writing about real things they really saw, real events in history. They were writing to real people and that were in real cities that were addressing real problems. And yet all of this was, was inspired by, was worked into by the very Spirit of God. It was overseen and directed by the very Spirit of God. So the Apostle Paul, he actually was a real guy and he used his real feelings and his real emotions to write real letters that went to the church in Corinth or the church in Philippi or the church in Colossae. And yet, and he wrote and he addressed real people with real problems. And yet, all of this was by the but by the guidance of the very Spirit of God. This is the word that was written and inspired by God. So we can say it is God's very word. And so when we come to the scriptures, we say what we have here is the very word of God because it was inspired by, it was inspired by the the Spirit of God. Not only was it inspired, but did God inspire, but God also perfected. God is perfect, and his revelation of himself is perfect. The Bible is without error in its original form. There is an amazing consistency of message in all 66 books of the Bible. 66 books, over 40-some authors, 1,600 years, one message. Do you understand what a phenomenon that is? Do you understand how significant that is? Do you understand what a spectacle this word is? Do you understand what a wonder this word is? That God over the course of 1,500 some years was able to have one book with one primary message and it was about Jesus? That God did this so that we might be able to know him? What a great gift that God has given to us. What a wonderful mystery that God has made for us. And yet what a wonderful gift that we have the book that is inspired by God so that you and I who are not worthy of God might be able to learn about God Almighty. It is his grace to us that we have this word, that God, and so our learning as the disciples of Jesus Christ is about God. That's what it's about. And our learning for the follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is about God, but it is rooted in his word. It is rooted in the scriptures. It is rooted in the Bible. To our text in Hebrews, you thought we would never get there. We are. Here we are. Let me read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a 
and any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We learn about this word. It is, our learning is about God, but it is rooted in his word. It is rooted in the Bible because the Bible is a book like none other. Because it is living and active, it is alive. The Bible is alive. It's not like you may read letters, letters of men who have died or women who have died, and we read the letters and we imagine what it must have been like to live them. And we may be able to be inspired in a moment of their bravery or courage or what they wrote of their love for their spouse. But it's not living. It doesn't change your life. Different than those things is the very word of God that is alive. It is, it is dynamic, the word of God, in the life of a believer, of a follower, it is alive and active. And the word of God, it gets inside. This is the mystery of the word of God. It gets inside. And what the, what the writer here says, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It gets inside. The, it penetrates the life of a, of a person. And I've described to you what, these, what, what this what the Bible says about itself, knowing that I've experienced it and knowing that I can't convince you that it's true, but that God's word will do it because it is a miraculous thing that God by his spirit does in the life of a, of a disciple. That the, the, the language is that there's a sword. There's not the big fighting sword that the Romans had, but it was a hand-to-hand combat sword. And it was sharp on both sides and it was meant to be able to pierce through the armor into the body of the person they were having combat with. And this is the imagery that the writer of Hebrews uses to talk about the word of God. It pierces into the soul. It pierces into the body of the follower of Christ. It pierces, it it penetrates. It gets inside, the word does. And then it rearranges. It penetrates even in dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It pierces our souls and then it gets inside and it begins to rearrange. This is, this is now, it, it maybe changed the metaphor. This is surgical language. So it is with a scalpel once inside that the word of God begins to carefully cut and reconstruct and to rearrange what is going on in the inside. It re, the word of God by the spirit of God rearranges our loves. It rearranges our hearts. It cuts and it separates and it rearranges what we once thought we loved that we no longer love. This is what the word of God does in the life of a believer. It penetrates and it rearranges because the word is alive and active and then it reads us it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart the writer says that we think that we come to this word and we read this word and we do come to the word and we read the word but soon we come to realize that as we're reading the word that we see ourselves in the story and it's actually reading us we say I see I see myself in the story I, 
once this book was just a book that I once read, but now as I read this book, then I can see myself and my face gets warm and my heart gets heavy and I actually see that God is actually at work in my life because we, and what is it doing? It's revealing the thoughts of our hearts. It's revealing, it reads us. I often will hear people say, they will come up and they'll say, and, and, and after the preaching and they'll say, how, how did you know that I needed to hear that? Or they'll say, well, it felt like, preacher, that you were speaking directly to me. How did you, were you reading my journal? Were you reading my diary? How did you know that that's what was going on in my life? And the answer is, I had no idea because I don't know you. I don't know your name and I don't know your diary because that's weird. But here's what I do know. God knows. Because why? Because he knows and he will reveal what's in our hearts and he will rearrange what we need to what needs to be rearranged and how does it happen it happens when we humble ourselves underneath the, the the searching gaze of God through his word by his spirit and then it reveals us nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account several years ago now as I was leading a men's ministry at the church where I was serving. And there was one gentleman who's a friend of mine who still is. Um, and I'd asked him if, if we were having a, a small men's gathering, a men's breakfast. And I asked him if he would be willing to share his story. And so he said that he would. And so the morning of that particular breakfast, we were in this back room of a restaurant and he shows up with his normal business attire. He's a business owner. And so he had his, you know, button down dress shirt and then he had his, his sports coat and he was looking business-like. Um, and he started to talk about, about his journey and what his life was like when he was growing up and then he started to take off his sports coat. And I'm like, oh. And then he started to unbutton his dress shirt. It's a little unnerving because here I am as a pastor and a man starting to undress in the restaurant. Um, but this is what he was doing. And then underneath then there was this, this black biker t-shirt with no sleeves on it and then you just saw all these tattoos that went up and down his arms and then he went and he got his leather leather biker jacket and he put it on and he said this was my life as I would go every weekend or as many weekends as I could with my friends and we would ride out and we would just go and we would, we would ride and then we would party and then we would ride and then we would party and then we would come back home and then we would do it all over again on the weekends He's like, and then this weird thing happened. My wife started to go to church. She started going to church. And so eventually one day I wanted to, I started to go to figure out what kind of silliness that she was involved in. And he said, I went. And then I went again. And he says, as I sat there and I listened to the word of God being preached, then, then something happened. And I didn't know why I kept going, but I kept going. And he's like, and then I was, I saw myself in that word. And he, re he, re he recognized himself to be a sinner in need of a savior and that the only one possible to be his savior was Jesus Christ. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And his life has been radically shifted because it shifted the way he spent his time and his money and the way he lived his life. Life, because of why? Because he sat under the word of God and somehow God by his spirit penetrated his soul and rearranged his priorities and drew him to himself. This is what the word of God does. 
This is the foundation for the learning, for the disciple who is all in for Jesus Christ. This is the foundation that we're, our learning is about God, that our learning is rooted in the very word of God. But what is all this for? That our learning is for living. It's not just so that you can spout off Bible verses. It's not so that you can, back in the day when I was a kid, we used to, they used to do what's called sword drills. You know, like the word of God is a sword and then they would give you a verse and the fastest kid that could do it. That's not the point. The point is that we would know this word, that this word would read us and that this word would reveal us and that this word would change us, that our lives would be transformed. John chapter 15, verses nine through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remain in my love. Keep my commands. That's how we remain in the love of God. We often will learn that this is my experience, and, and, and I, maybe it's been yours, that we will often be convicted by God's spirit as Christians, and we will learn a lesson. Maybe, maybe it's about lying, or maybe it's about whatever it is, and we, will, and we will make progress, and then we will hear another sermon, or we will hear another devotional, and we will feel convicted, and I will often hear people say, I thought I learned that lesson. Didn't, didn't I already learn this? I mean, I knew that. I mean, I knew that. I learned that, but maybe I didn't learn that. I guess I need to learn it all over again. Is that... And it's said with a bit of discouragement. Well, I want to say, don't be discouraged. Because what God is doing is you did learn that lesson most of the time. We learned that lesson, but then what God is doing is he's saying, now it's time to go deeper. And it's like peeling away the layers of an onion is the word, word of God that is at work in the life of the people of God through his word. And he's going deeper and he says, okay, that was round one. Now we're coming back around because we're gonna go deeper because now I'm ready for you to abide in me more. I'm ready for you to walk with me more. I'm ready for you to stay in the story with me. That's what it is to abide. It's to stay in the story. How do we stay in the story? We stay in the story through the word of God that is the story that is revealing the very person and commands of God. And as we live those things out, we're staying in the story. Jesus says, remain in me. Stay with me. Hold my hand. Walk with me on this journey. I know that you have been told to read your Bibles. I've told you to read your Bibles. Everybody tells you to read your Bibles. And it's hard to read your Bibles. And we're supposed to read our Bibles and pray every day. And we're supposed to read our Bible and pray every day. And we're supposed to do that. And you are supposed to do that. And you need to do that. You must do that. But my fear is that it's white noise. My fear is it's that terrible music when you get into the elevator. That you walk into the elevator and you don't even know there's music on. And if you do, it's annoying. Right? That, 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 that's what we hear when we hear, we need to abide in me and we need to get into our Bibles and we believe these truths about our Bible, but we have, my, my fear is that we've lost the mystery. 
that we have failed to understand the intrigue, that we have failed to allow ourselves to sit in the wonder of, of God and his word and his story, that we've lost the romance, that somehow we've lost the journey of what God is doing. We've lost the experience. We've lost the treasure hunt that is going into the word of God and being in the story of all that God is doing that we get to be a part of. My fear is that we've lost the intrigue of God that is at work in his creation, in his world. Don't allow this to be white noise. Don't allow it to just be white noise in your life. Don't settle for just a, a rousing Sunday experience. Don't settle for a decent devotional life. Don't settle for just mere moral living because we get to be walking with Jesus every single moment of all of the days of all of our lives. Do you understand the privilege that we enjoy as Christians to walk on this learning journey as a disciple that is all in for him? That that's what he calls us to. It is a privilege that we enjoy to walk with Jesus and to live with Jesus and to listen to Jesus because this book is a story about Jesus. And I will have to tell you that he tells you to keep his commands, to remain in his love. And if you start living by this book, if we start adhering, then it will change the way you live your life. It must. It will change your schedule. It will change the way that you think about your work because your work won't provide you the satisfaction that you think that it ought because your, your life isn't about your work. Your significance and value and self-worth isn't about your work. So it'll change the way that you do your work and the way you view your work. It'll change the way you view your family because you, uh, you, your greatest purpose in all of life is not to have the greatest family on the block but it is to see that this family is actually following after Jesus Christ and that you are raising them up to send them out so that they can be on mission for Jesus Christ. It will change the way you parent your children. It will change the way you think about family. It will change the way you think about church because the church isn't here merely to minister to your needs, but primarily to equip you, to send you out because there is a field that is ripe for harvest and they need workers to go out into the field. It will change and it will wreck the way you think about church. It will wreck the way you think about life life because your life is not your own because you were bought at a price and it cost Jesus Christ his life so that you could be made alive and he says now lay down your life so that others may be able to follow after you for baby to see me it will change the way you do what you do but when you live in the story when we abide in Christ, when we come to his word, we are reminded that we are a part of something that is far more significant than us and our lives and our desires. We are a part of God's story. When we remain in him and remain in his story, then we remember that there's something far, that far greater, that we are a part of his story, that he is not on the periphery of ours. That this great grand God that we see in the Bible cannot be relegated to some small place in the corner of our lives that we see on a Sunday morning for an hour. He will not be done. If you are going to be all in for Jesus, then he will change your life. Know this, that when you say, I will be all in with you, Jesus, that, you, that your life will be changed. And you, will you need to surround yourselves to be reminded with other people who are saying, I want to stay in the story. I want to be all in for Jesus. 
We come on a Sunday morning to be reminded of why we are all in for Jesus as we hear his word, as we sing his praises together in order that we might be able to go back out into our all of life worship on a Monday through Saturday. We come together to be reminded of the story. That the story, what is Jesus' story about? What is the big idea? What is the main premise? Who is the main character? Who is the main character? It's not me and it's not you. It's Jesus. He's the one we follow. So let us not get caught up in, these, uh, in, in our own opinions. Let's not be caught up in the minutia. Let's not be caught up in the small things, but let's remind ourselves to be caught up in the grand story that is what God is doing in our world that we get the privilege to be a part of. And right now I'm gonna stop because I want you to talk to Jesus. I want you to talk to Jesus right now because some of us need to repent and come to Jesus for the very first time because we've never actually joined the story. We've still been at it all on our own and you know it. You know you've been trying and you know that you've been working and for whatever reason, here you are and today is the day that you need to say, Jesus, I'm gonna join you in the story and right now is that moment because God, by his word, is stirring and rearranging the priorities of your heart right now. For some of you, You need to repent and come back to Jesus because it's all been head knowledge for you and it hasn't moved from here down to here. And we've been learning, we've been amassing a bunch of stuff and we've been a lot of verses and we've been around church, but our living, and we know it, has been laxed. And for some of us, we've just been cold towards Jesus. And we need to say, God, I'm all in because of the privilege that I have of being your child. Forgive me for allowing my heart to go cold and for me to be disobedient. I don't know where you are. I don't know what, how God is moving and speaking to you, but what I do know is I wanna give you a moment to talk to Jesus. And I wanna, I wanna give you that moment right now and then I'll close this in prayer. So right now, will you just pray? Will you pray to Jesus and do business with him? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who is not quiet, but a God who speaks. I thank you, you, God, that you have spoken in creation, you have spoken by your word, you have spoken through your son, you have spoken to us and are speaking to us even now by your spirit. I thank you that in your son, Jesus, you have come near. You entered into space and time and you have come near to us. I thank you that your spirit is working in each of our hearts right now. And I have one request of you this morning, that you would draw us near, that you would keep us in the story, keep abiding in you, and that you'd keep us humbly learning at your feet. It is for your great namesake that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.